This episode is sponsored by Shoutout, a two-way text messaging and campaign management platform that provides analytics and facilitates conversational messaging that delivers, engages, and converts more. Send personalized campaigns from unique phone numbers to the message content itself, letting you brand your campaign to promote yourself and create your messages in a way that users are made to think you sent it personally for them. You can then monitor and improve your campaigns over time with real-time analytics. Start reducing messaging and campaign costs with cost-effective bulk SMS. Scale efficiently without having to worry about high costs. If you'd like to start using mass texting services with simple packages to choose from, visit GetShoutOut.com today. Hello, hello, everyone. This is your host, Akil Jabbar, and welcome back to another episode of SaaS District. In today's episode, we'll be talking about how to get your first customers as a bootstrap SaaS startup with a limited budget. Today, we have our guest, Andy Cabasso, joining us. Andy is the co-founder at Postaga, Postaga, an outreach service to build links for free with its AI-assisted all-in-one outreach platform. They can find outreach opportunities, out- analyze outbound content, find email addresses, and much more. Andy is also the co-founder of Offsprout, where they help web design agencies to build websites for their customers using white label website building tools. And prior to building these two startups, he was also the co-founder at Juris Page, an internet marketing agency focusing on helping law firms create a professional internet presence and get better visibility online. And before all that, Andy was also a practicing lawyer where he transitioned to entrepreneurship. So welcome, Andy. Super excited to have you on the SaaS District Show today. Hey, Kiel. Yeah, thanks for having me here. Uh, so, you know, the, the, the juice and, and heart of this today's episode is all about, you know, SaaS founders looking to grow their company, right? They start off, they obviously have limited budget. Most people who haven't raised, um, they're completely bootstrapped, just like you guys have done. What do you suggest to them? What is, uh, you know, there's a lot of things you can do, right? You guys did a lot of, I think, outreach on LinkedIn, via email. Um, mm-hmm. why, why was that the best channel you found and recommend? Or what else do you recommend to people? Well, so for, well, Probably one of my favorite channels is content marketing and SEO, but it takes a while to get get the results from it. It takes, I don't know, in my experience, from start, it start it takes about like six months and maybe a little bit more before you really start seeing uh, results from it. And if you're starting today with a bootstrap startup, or if you're if you have an MVP, or if you don't even have any product yet, and you're trying to validate this idea and see if people would actually pay for it, and or willing to give you money, uh, you may not like know how to get in front of that audience. And it can take time. If you're trying, if you're trying like content marketing, it's going to take time. If you're doing paid ads, it's going to be expensive. And so for me, I found that, uh, doing cold outreach, both with, uh, LinkedIn and email was, has been particularly effective. I can, uh, like if, if my target audience, let's say is web design agencies, I can, uh, search for web design agencies on, on LinkedIn. I could prospect uh, by using a few different, you know, uh, search tools or prospecting tools or things like that. Build a list of companies and people that I want to reach out to, and then hit them up with a cold email to see it, or cold LinkedIn message or anything like that to see if uh, they're interested in in my product or my solution to hopefully a problem that they have. Okay, and then just kind of dissecting that a little bit deeper. Um, yeah. 
you know, you've, you found these people, I'm assuming, you know, just through some, you know, prospecting tool, narrowed down by base of mm-hmm. the industry and size you're working with. Um, how, how did you reach out to them? Do you have some, was this very kind of, um, you know, high level, you know, kind of spray and pray approach? Or were you very personalized? How personalized did you go? Um, mm-hmm. You can show also the, the results, like, you know, were open rates, conversion rates, and were you pushing them mm-hmm. to to a trial of your account? Because it was SaaS, right? It's like, hey, try my account. Mm-hmm. I was like, sure, I'll, I'll try check it out one day. Or it's like, hey, let's get on a demo on a call and talk about it. So the earliest days when we were still like building our product, when it was in beta, my approach was very much like, uh, hey, I'm looking, I'm building a new product uh, and here's the problem that it's trying to solve. Uh, is this relevant for you? Is this a problem that you have? And would you be interested in getting free access to this tool to try it out? Um, let me know what you think. Um, very non-pushy, like, uh, and for this approach, I was doing just as reaching as wide a target audience as possible, just as many people as I can get, because we were really working to get people just to in front of it, to use the product, to see what their workflow is like, if, if it all made sense, if the user experience made sense, if there were features that it needed that, uh, just weren't there that we didn't know about. Um, and that like really just going for user feedback, um, our just pitch was like very, like it wasn't aggressive to the extent of like pay us money. Uh, is this, you know, is, is this, um, yeah. So that was kind of our initial approach. And then after I'd say after we were out of beta and as we were like trying to get our first paying customers, uh, our, our pitch and approach with, uh, cold outreach. Um, I, I, I get, I'm sure you get these too. I get a lot of cold pitches from things like web designers and, uh, software developers. And it's a very, very generic pitch of, you know, dear sir, do you need any web design services? Our team can provide you a great service at an excellent price with mobile responsive webs. And it's just like <laughs> listing their product and what, what it is that they're doing. And that's, it's just very uninspired. And the second, like you see it, like the second you see that message, you're like, all right, this is nothing unique for me. And so with my pitch, it's important to me that it it's, you know, human and personal uh, because I want to, I, I think whenever I'm trying to craft a pitch, if I were receiving this just from nobody I knew, what would I think of this? Um, mm. And that I've, I found that has helped me in particular uh, craft my, my cool outreach pitches. And I, I um, try and give that advice to as many people as I can. Just take a second. If you've written this long, long email, um, that's very much focused on whatever features or that your product has, take a second, read it and pretend that you just received this and this is in your inbox and you are this target customer. Is that going to be exciting to you? Mm. Um, and so what, what I try and do with, with my, uh, what I try to do with my cold outreaches, um, I'll inject a bit of humor into it. Uh, there's a particularly, uh, a person that I've got a lot of inspiration from that I recommend people check out. His name is, uh, John Buchan, B-U-C-H-A-N. He's got a, a community called Charm Offensive, where basically it's like cold emails, but he's like cracking jokes and, and uh, it's very like, it's dry. It's, it's, something that you would not expect uh, to be getting from a cold email, but it's very disarming. Like, Mm. it's like, oh, wow, like this is clever. Like, so like in my outreach pitches, 
I include a picture of me sitting next to my cat staring at the the webcam lens. And it's like, I, my, my line is like, my cat and I pictured here are awaiting your response. And it's, it's silly, mm-hmm. but it's human and it's showing me as an individual. And I don't look like any of those other generic, uh, hello, sir, please, whatever. Um, yeah. and so having like really the whole goal of cold outreach is to start a conversation. You're not mm-hmm. going to sell anyone on the first email. So I want to get a response. I want, and so for me with my goal to get a response, I need to have, get something to, for them to respond to. And I've tried variants of plenty of different types of pitches. And I have found that having a more humorous, like different, more personal touch to it uh, mm-hmm. is much more effective. And, and what, what did you guys see? Like, what are you guys seeing right now? If you continue, are you still running it right now? And what are you guys seeing like open rate response rate in general? Yep. Still running this now and doing it with a, with different audiences, things can get, uh, let me pull up some stats if I can, um, kind of different response rate that we're like seeing based on, uh, like based on like the specific audiences that we're targeting. Um, but, um, in general, uh, people using our cold outreach platform, I'd say get in like an average open rate of like 40% and an average response rate of anywhere from like two, maybe two to 5%, depending on what type of outreach campaign it is, whether Mm -hmm. it's um, like, if you're doing outreach for link building, it might be uh, a little bit higher. If you're doing outreach for sales, it might be uh, lower. Um, yeah, it's, it's probably a little bit all over the place. Um, let's see. Um, so yeah, like my, my last campaigns, um, I have like a 40%, I guess 48, 49%, uh, open rate and about a 10% response rate. Um, and I'm, I'm pretty happy with that. Um, Mm. I think there's like room for improvement, but, um, yeah. And I have, uh, some other campaigns that like, depending on like the audience that I'm targeting, I can see, uh, like an increase open rate and response rate or lower depending on what it is. But yeah, that's just the nature of, of, yeah. of doing outreach. Absolutely. Okay. And, uh, so just, you know, last point around the, the outreach side, which is, you know, if you're starting off, I know generally what I hear is, you know, if you're doing any outreach, you know, it has to be some cost effectiveness to this to, to justify this channel. Mm-hmm. Um, but as a bootstrap, you know, you'll do anything and everything to get it off. Um, what have you seen? And if you could show these numbers like your LTV yeah. and, and CAC to justify using that, because generally I heard, you know, you, you got to have to at least, a, if you're a product selling $10 a month or $5 a month, maybe it's, I don't know if it's worth it versus, mm-hmm. you know, it's a $2,000, $3,000, $3, you know, LTV value of a product, then it's worth For, it. For sure. And I guess it, it that's a, that's going to be, that's going to differ very much depending on what your offer is and what you're looking for. And so like, yeah, if you have a, if you're trying to get customers for your SaaS and your, your price point is 10 to $20 a month. Um, yeah, you, that that's no matter what you're doing that it's going to be a, like a, a big challenge just because like you need a lot more numbers to, to make it worth it. Right. But, um, I guess what I, I guess what I can really share is that, um, in terms of like different channels and opportunities, I find cold outreach to be the the most cost effective. In particular, because the like the medium of outreach itself 
let's say you spend some time to create your pitches um, and you you may take some time like you may take some time with prospecting you might do a relatively relatively quick job prospecting using some scraping tools or something like that but once you have like your target audience and once you have your your tool that you're using for sending the outreach campaigns like it's very inexpensive like the only real cost ends up being the time that you put into it or if you have a an AE or a SDR or anything like that or someone that you're you're paying from like Fiverr or Upwork to build a list for you um, and then throw it into your outreach software you just have to then respond to the leads that come in so it, it's so de yeah depending on how your workflow is it can be just very very cost effective to help you get in front of leads as compared mm -hmm. to uh, some other things like like SEO which has the the time uh, component to it or paid search which just can cost a lot of money mm. And obviously, you know, as a as a bootstrap founder, you have limited budget. Um, you can you have sure. you can most people try so many things. They just want anything that works and try to stick. Right, but, I've been you know, there. <laughs> you've been there, right? So, um, so maybe people who are listening in, maybe help them think through how they can save some of their time and money. Um, mm -hmm. Can you share some of the the failures, or I'm not sure call them failures, but you know, some growth experiments that that didn't work out as as you yeah. hope and you know you wouldn't recommend. So things that I, I've tried for the. I don't know, last decade that I've been doing uh, marketing and growing, trying to grow businesses. Um, like, uh, I, I'd i say I'm not happy with how paid social went uh, for us. Like, we got, like, it, it could help get eyeball, like, it, it, we could drive traffic, but it just did not convert. Like, the best converting traffic source for us was probably... Uh, content marketing and like that's that was like a long game so for like our agency uh some people would like come to our site through a blog post download a lead magnet and get on our mailing list and those people would maybe reach out when it was the right time for them to hire a web agency and so that was a very like a long-term play but those people converted at a much higher rate because we'd already built that trust as compared to uh, someone seeing a uh, an ad in their social media for the first time, and they click it to see what it's about, those converted also at a, like a particularly low rate, and the just the cost for it, at least for my agency, just wasn't worth it. Um, mm. We tried different experiments of like trying to drive traffic to lead magnets, but the just the cost per sign up was I felt like it was too high compared to thinking about well. If a hundred people, if a hundred people download this lead magnet from this ad, and uh, within three months, this amount of them reach out to you know for our our paid services, is it is it worth it? And so I, I just couldn't really justify it with that. Mm -hmm. um, and are you talking uh, about Facebook and, uh, yeah. and LinkedIn specifically, or, or yeah? So I guess in terms of specifics, LinkedIn I had the worst time with. I got nothing from it. Um, <laughs> it was very expensive and I have nothing to show for it. Facebook earlier on, I was like 2014, 2015. I was like seeing glimmers of potential there, but, uh, over time it got a lot more expensive. Like, uh, for a few consecutive years, I hosted a virtual summit 
uh, our agency that was in the niche of legal marketing. And we hosted a virtual uh, two-day virtual summit with a bunch of speakers with that related to uh, legal technology and marketing and stuff like that. And we uh, advertise on Facebook and a little bit on LinkedIn and Google uh, search and everything like that. And the, I think the cost, the CPA, the cost to get someone to sign up from year one to year three doubled. And so we were just like, all right, uh, this is a little bit crowded and just too competitive and people are throwing money at it. It's not worth it anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and so my, yeah, my last experience with that was I'd say 2017 or 2018. Um, but yeah, and I, and I've tried a few experiments with it since and just, uh, I, I couldn't get it to work. That's not to say it can't work for everybody, but, uh, for B2B, I, I just found a, a tough time getting it to go. Yeah, we, we find the same thing with a lot of the SaaS companies we work with. Um, you know, it was, it was working great, I think, up until last year. I think after the iOS 14 update, I think that was the biggest hit. And that's and what yeah, I'm hearing now, too, yeah. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're, I mean, we're still able to make profitable, but it's like, it's not like, you know, we're not, we're, we're not able to scale it and, you know, we throw a bunch more money into it. Like, we're fueling more now into to Google. So I don't know if you guys are seeing as well, like on the ad side of, of search, still seeing pretty good results on that. Yeah, and um, as far as like the paid search channel, like the... One that we had the most success with was was Google Search, and Google search. Um, and we yeah we did everything we did some YouTube ads, we did some uh, display network ads and uh, search ads, and I just personally like the search ad like the ROI from the search ads was I, I found to be the best. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Cool. Um, and I saw you all. You guys also applied and got accepted into Tiny Seeds Startup Accelerate Program. We actually had mm-hmm. Einer on the show, who's one of our first few guests. I think if anyone, <laughs> anybody wants to listen in, uh, you guys can check out that episode. It was, one, it was at least, I think, the first one of the first 10. So he's a great guy. Mm-hmm. Um, what was your reason yeah. uh, and decision to go down that path of you know working with them? Because I know they work with Bootstrap, B2B, SaaS founders. Mm-hmm. And at what stage or um, would you recommend any founder who also listening in to consider, you know, what were the metrics that, okay, mm-hmm. like it got, it got their attention and you think it was, it was worth, it was a good match? Yeah. Um, so we were, we were, Curious about the accelerator in particular, not for the you know small amount of like relatively small amount of funding that they provided. We were more interested in it for um, their ability to help us scale and their network. Um, and our experience has proven that that it has been helpful for that. Like so. For people who don't know, the Tiny Seed Startup Accelerator, it's similar to something like Y Combinator, but whereas like Y Combinator is a three-year, or sorry, three-month program, uh, Tiny Seed is a year-long program. Uh, we personally kind of like that better, that it gave us a gave us more time. Because um, I, I don't know, I find within like a crunch period of time, there are a million things you want to do. Like every day as it is, with, with, with a startup, there are a million things on, on one's to-do list. And the key is how do I prioritize uh, what to do next? And so the, the fact that it was a year-long program, um, the fact that a lot of the mentors uh, were people that we wanted to get in front of for potential partnerships and maybe down the road of potential acquisition or maybe um, uh, just like the community related to it from TinySeed and, and MicroConf um, was one that we wanted to really be involved with. So, um, so that was kind of like the interest for us. Uh, you know, beyond that, they do provide some funding. So tiny seed, uh, 
as of now, like their current program is they provide 120K for the first founder and then uh, plus an extra 60K for every additional founder. Um, and yeah, that wasn't bad either. And um, yeah, so like we applied in January of last year. We then had three rounds of interviews, one with uh, Tracy, who's the program, uh, program manager, one with Einar, and then one with uh, Rob. Uh, and then they accepted us. We did a month or two of, you know, due diligence and then looking over our numbers and books and lawyers and all that fun stuff. And then, uh, after that, like we officially joined the program in, uh, May of last year. And I guess now we're, uh, like, I guess eight months in and it's, it's been great so far. Okay. And then, uh, do you remember like, what were the, some of the criteria, what they looked for? Oh, um, so that, you know, yeah. listening want to consider it for sure. So they want to see that you have some traction that you're not pre-revenue. I think their, their like band that they were looking for was between like you have, your MRR should be between 500 and 20,000. Um, and, uh, but I think they started saying that most were in the range of 2000 to 20,000, uh, month in terms of, uh, monthly recurring revenue. Um, I know that some people apply to the program who have higher MRR and, uh, if, if you do, you're, you are more, you have more room to negotiate in terms of their equity stake and percentage and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, um, uh, that's, that's where they, that's what their, what their criteria were when, uh, we, we, we applied. And do you remember how fast you were, you were you growing pretty quickly back then? You're like, Hey, look at attraction. Or was it like, yeah, we're, we need your help to sell with this. <laughs> well, we, we were like, we were happy. Like we were happy with our growth, but we always want to grow faster. And, um, and they've definitely, like the program has definitely given us a lot of helpful feedback, not just, uh, Rob and Einar, but also the mentors, uh, and really the other, uh, people, uh, other businesses in our cohort. Um, mm-hmm. like we, we get like advice on like every, you know, everything from like, Hey, should I try out this software? Or I'm looking for a, a marketing consultant who would you recommend? And, you know, mm-hmm. it's just getting feedback from knowledgeable people that you would trust is important. Like I'd say, if you're not, if you know, if you're not doing an accelerator program or anything like that, I would at the very least recommend have, have some sort of mastermind that you're a part of with other founders, uh, in particular other founders who are hopefully either at your stage or, uh, ideally beyond your stage, uh, like, much more successful than you, much further along, much higher MRR, because they can provide you a lot more valuable feedback. I've been in masterminds before, um, uh, I, I, for probably seven years now. And like my first mastermind group that I was in, uh, a few of the people in my group were just starting their first businesses and, uh, didn't have a whole lot of like great feedback for me where my business, my agency was at like in some ways an inflection point and I was looking for uh, ways to help us grow. But, uh, you know, since then having joined other mastermind groups, I have, I've joined masterminds where people are at, you know, at companies with millions in ARR when, uh, when my company wasn't at, at millions in ARR and the feedback that they were able to provide was, has been just super helpful because, you know, they've been through it before they've been right. through, uh, those, challenging times, they have found solutions. And 
importantly, like they're people that I would trust uh, with their judgment rather than someone mm. who is maybe like starting out and just hasn't been through those things and is like doing their own research to try out different things. Like yeah. me, like me today, I wouldn't want to be in a mastermind group with me from seven years ago. Cause I've just, I've learned a lot more in, in the last seven years of, of just working in startups and stuff like that. Um, and yeah, same. I just want, I, I would want to work with, uh, experienced people. Yeah. Yeah. And generally, you know, it's, it's not only what they, they tell you to do. Um, I think the big value is like, all right, make sure you don't do this and like avoid this way. Right? That's most of the things like how to, you know, stay, stay focused, uh, you know, go, you know, get through the noise, right. Because you're just trying to do everything and anything. And the wise and the wisdom that they give you is like, okay, where to focus and it'll save a lot of time and money and energy and, and, you know, accelerate way, see way better results. Right. And I think that's the, yeah, the impact. Absolutely. Because yeah. like, especially as like a startup founder, I think sometimes there can be things wrong with our wi the wiring on our brains. There can be a shiny object sometimes, or like mm -hmm. you hear about, like you read about this case study of how this person, they scaled their site in traffic or by doing this and this. And sometimes you need just a, a voice of reason from someone else who's like, all right, I hear what you're saying. This sounds like one of the last 20 ideas that you've had and if you start 20 different things, you're going to make progress on none of them. Exactly. You really like, you need to, uh, focus and like be like, and like follow, follow the specific path because you're just otherwise going to just not make any progress on anything. Right. And you guys also did a, a product hunt launch where you said, you, you know, got some of your first early customers. I don't know at what point you guys did that, but for your business, mm -hmm. And it supposedly went to to number one for the day that it did launch. Can you share, mm. you know, exactly how how are you able to achieve that? And what what kind of results did you see from from that? If you're able to track yeah. track and uh, see. So within the so from the, I guess the week that we did the product hunt launch, uh, we uh, signed up a thousand uh, 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 users to our platform. Um, this is before we had any uh, paid tiers, but we were really just looking to get as many users as possible, and that really also helped give us some confidence that we were going in the right direction. Um, what we did was very strategic and thoughtful. I know that there are some people who like check out product hunt and they're like, all right, well, I'll just launch my product and product hunt. And if people like it, they like it. Um, a lot of people who are launching on product hunt are strategic about how they're launching. They want to be number one for the day and they want to be in the, the top five for the day and top for the week, because it gets a lot more eyeballs onto your product. If you end up being in the top five for a particular day, then you're going to show up in the newsletter that Product Hunt sends out the next day, which will get you in front of more people than just the people who are visiting the Product Hunt site that particular day. And then if you get to be one of the top products of the week, then you get it to be in another newsletter. And it can just send a, a ton of, of traffic and potential customers your way. And I know uh, quite a few people at this point who have done product hunt launches and been successful with them. And I'd say the like the one thing that we did was we were we knew that product hunt was going to be a channel that we wanted to have success with, and so we dedicated time and resources to making sure that would happen. So we reverse engineered effectively taking a look at what other successful companies that had successful launches on product hunt were doing. We also, I also reached out cold to some other companies that had successful product hunt launches and 
I got on a, a few calls with them and said, Hey, like, uh, your, your product launch was really great. Are there anything that you would recommend to someone trying to have like do their own launch? What should we do? And so I got a lot of great feedback from them since they had already done it and been successful. Uh, that, that like gave us a lot of ideas and things that we didn't know. Like we didn't, we got ideas for things that we didn't know that we didn't know. So like, for example, um, the, like their article, there are plenty of articles on how to launch a product and product hunt. And I've written a few of them myself, but like, uh, just a few examples, like you really need to launch your product at 12.01 AM Pacific time on the day that you launch, because, uh, that's when the new day starts in product hunt. Uh, beyond that, uh, you really need to drive traffic to your product hunt product early in the day. The reason being is uh, after a few hours, so I'm up at like, I think it's like, um, I don't know, maybe it's like 3 a.m. Pacific time or something like that. That's when like the daily leaderboard starts to establish. Other Before that, it's just a free-for-all. But as soon as the scoreboard is sort of established of here's what's ranking number one, two, and, and so on, at that point, you will start, if you're in like the, one of the top spots, you'll start to see like organic traffic from people who are visiting the product hunt site. And so email your list, any, any list that you have, any audiences that you have, as soon as you're launching in product hunt to really get that, try and get that early good position because that'll help you further along. Just like um, if you're one of like, if you're like the top ranked blog article on Google for a specific topic, people just by the nature of you being the top ranked thing, they're going to click on you to see what it's all about. Um, you're ranked number one, so there must be something good about it. And there's, yeah, like the the vote of votes of confidence that that, there's, that people are seeing that, oh, wow, this is ranking number one. That'll organically just help you increase your position as opposed to if you were to like launch later in the day and you're starting from scratch, uh, you're climbing, uh, uphill basically. Mm. Is, is there certain days I hear that work better or any other, any strategic, be strategic, any other things? So, yeah. So there are certain days like between, I think between Tuesday to Thursday are big tech kind of days. Uh, that's mm -hmm. when a lot, you see a lot of tech products launch. Um, but if your goal is the, the banner to have, we were number one on product hunt, the weekend or Fridays can be less competitive. Uh, there are fewer people uh, launching products in those days. Like, um, I think on the day that we did our launch, we also were up against like uh, a Facebook product. Now, mm -hmm. we're, as, as soon as I saw it, I'm like, oh no. Mm -hmm. But they, someone hunted that product who may or may not have been related to that team, but they launched it late in the day and they like didn't really seem to put a lot of effort into trying to get it to be competitive and, and rank. So uh, because of that, like, even though it was a product owned by Facebook, it, it didn't uh, beat us. Um, yeah. Um, okay. Uh, and, and any other, any, any kind of final tips around that? Like, um, Oh, yeah, sure. So, so some other things like making sure that like it's important that your listing and product hunt looks good. So what what was important was like not just having like a, a bunch of screenshots of your product because a screenshot doesn't tell a story. It just shows you a dashboard or a screen or something like that. What we did is like we'd create 
basically annotated images. So, um, like uh, everything from uh, like like some examples is like we'd have a screenshot of like a dashboard, but we'd have text alongside it to explain what it was that people were looking at. Um, mm. Kind of like if you think about like something that you'd more likely see in like a slide deck or like a like a presentation for funding or anything like that. Um, that's kind of the stuff that we were including in our images. We also created like a one minute explainer video that was well produced. Um, and then our like initial comment that we had that explained what we did um, has like a little bit of personal story to it to get people invested in us as founders um, and like sharing the problem and how we're solving it and why we're solving it. And, nice. uh, and for the day that we did our launch, we dedicated, my co-founder and I dedicated just all of our time to it. So we were just, we weren't working on anything else. We were just on our website's live chat and support tickets uh, all day for the launch. And really also for like the next day after, because we got a lot more traffic from after we got that mention in that newsletter. But dedicating the resources to that was important so that we could, you know, really cultivate these new, this big batch of new users to get them to become really evangelists for our product. Nice. Love it. Um, last question about kind of the growth and then we'll go into kind of the personal rapid fire questions. What about, so product content, I completely agree. Fantastic place to launch. Uh, another place where people consider a lot is um, AppSumo, right? So it was like, what yeah. was your experience there? You know, I hear mixed stories, right? Like, um, you know, do you see it's worth it? Especially now, you, you know, you go out and offer lifetime uh, discounts, right? These are typically, mm -hmm. right? $39, a month, uh, or $59 one time. Um, and then, you know, you mm -hmm. get all the support issues and things down the line. You know, short term sounds pretty good, but long term, I hear some issues. What's been your experience there? Yeah, I, guess I have I have experiences both as a, a customer and as a vendor on, on AppSumo. I, yeah, found AppSumo years ago and I loved it. Like, I yeah, and there are just a bunch of great products that I that I use every day. And like, yeah, and it's like, oh, wow, a really good deal. I paid 70 bucks for some SEO tools and that they're great and I'm using them constantly. And then there are also some AppSumo products that you buy that uh, discontinue within a year. And, right, um, exactly. but that's kind of just the nature of what, what tends to happen. Um, on the, on the vendor side, as someone who like launched on, on product hunt, I'm sorry, on uh, AppSumo, um, yeah, the process kind of was like, uh, you know, we, we saw that there was like an application for it. We were thinking, um, like we were, this is all stuff that we had to weigh because I also for AppSumo, I reached out to other founders who had done AppSumo launches and got their feedback. Um, and yeah, kind of like you're alluding to some of them, like, were like, this helped really validate our product early on and it helped us get a bunch of, uh, loyal followers and evangelists. Um, but the kind of consensus that I found seemed to be that the, the cost, uh, be, like it's basically a wash in terms of the revenue that you get from AppSumo mm. compared to the, uh, yeah, what, what you get from offering the deal. Like, um, like you may have a very successful launch on AppSumo, but AppSumo can take a cut of up to 70 or 70 or 75% mm -hmm. of the sales. So if you're coming away with 25% or 30% of, 
of whatever $50, $60 price tag it is, um, your product is already being severely discounted uh, to get these customers. And so, uh, yeah, it, uh, it, it, I, I, from, yeah, like it, it can be, it can, it can be like a wash and really what you're doing with like the AppSumo launch is it's another marketing channel. Uh, it will give you some capital and that's great. Like you can get hundreds of thousands of dollars from potentially. Um, but a lot of that is going to need to be reinvested into those users. Um, I've also heard and like my experience tends to also be that even if you have like a couple of, or thousands of people who sign up and get codes, like 80 to 90% of them will just buy it and not use it. Um, and so, but you still end up with 10% of those people who are active, uh, and do, you know, use your support resources and everything like that and have questions and have feature requests and maybe want more, uh, than what the entitlements are. And that's, yeah, that's all stuff that you have to deal with because then, you know, you, you may go like be at a spot where you're like, all right, we have a few customers. Now suddenly you have a thousand more customers. Uh, are you ready to handle that and handle those uh, like support requests and things like that? Exactly. So I guess, you know, just a, just a quick answer to that, you know, would you do it again? Yes or no? Yes. There are maybe things that I would, would might do differently. Mm-hmm. Um, just in hindsight with kind of a lot of things like, <laughs> um, but um, yeah, I would probably do it again. You do it again. Cool. Awesome, Andy. Um, ready for some some more personal rapid fire questions? Depends on the questions. On the questions? All right. I guess I'll start it with the easy one. Um, what was your vision when you first started Postaja and how has it evolved over time to what it is today? The vision at the beginning was uh, as an agency owner, I wanted a way to do out, cold outreach in a scalable way for link building. Um, I had this problem as a, as a founder and I know other agency founders that just were using disparate systems and disconnected tools and multiple different tools for it. And it just didn't make sense for their agencies. Um, and we, we have like, we are on that path with that vision, but we've also added other features and functionality as well. We're not just doing cold outreach for link building. We're also doing cold outreach for digital PR, doing cold outreach for, uh, sales as well. And like sales is becoming maybe to no one's surprise, cold outreach for sales is, is a big uh, channel as well. Mm. Uh, what's one piece of advice you wish I had known and would tell your 25 year old self? I'm not sure your age, but I'll, I'll say that. Age. I'm in my thirties. Uh, <laughs> my 25 year old self thinking about how old was I then? Uh, yeah. Buy this thing called Bitcoin <laughs> right now. Only drug dealers and people buying drugs online are using it. <laughs> um, but I know it's going to sound ridiculous past self. But this thing is going to go up into the tens of thousands of dollars in value. And that blog article that you're thinking about writing in 2013 or 2014 about how Bitcoin seems overpriced at $92 is probably a bad call. And you'll (laughs) kick yourself about it later. Nice, nice. Love it. Yeah, totally agree. (laughs) Um, What are some of the biggest challenges you're you're currently facing in order to continue to grow a post-dodge? I mean, what, what keeps you up at night these days? Um, as a relatively young startup, it's all about growth. Um, there are, yeah, yeah, I want to get in front of as many people as possible, uh, that I think are a good fit for our product. 
we're not there yet. Um, and I'm, yeah, kind of like, yeah, any, any startup I'm looking to get, just get in front of as many, many people as, as possible. Nice. Uh, who are, what is, uh, some of the best, uh, resources? These could be books, people, mentors, or people you follow who you'd say have been the most instrumental to your success over these last few years. Um, more recently, um, I really liked the uh, Startups for the Rest of Us podcast uh, with uh, Rob from uh, Tiny Seed. Um, also, uh, I guess a few books that have been helpful for me uh, early in my career with uh, marketing uh, was a book called Influence by Robert Cialdini, which um, goes into a bit of like psychology of buyer behavior and things like that. It, it's pretty, I think it's like pretty like standard level marketing fair, but it was really, it really highlights the importance of like creating like sensitive urgency and scarcity for your buyers. And uh, yeah, that's just, the, that I've just internalized since I read that. And I try to make a point to read it uh, every few years. And the other resource I'd say is uh, Traction by Gino Wickman, mm. uh, which is all about having an operating system for your business. And before I really learned about business operating systems and, you know, there's, there's a, yeah, there's traction, there's Rockefeller habits, they're all good, but ultimately it's all about getting you on a, a system for running your business. Everything from like, like, what are you going to do for like, what are the metrics that are important to you? What are you looking at, looking towards? What's your one, what are your one year goals? What are your goals for the quarter? that can keep you accountable to because without these sorts of things to keep accountable to without these metrics and goals, uh, you can kind of be rudderless. And so like I make a point now to like as following with traction every quarter I have, uh, goals. I have projects that I want to achieve and I try not to take on too many because I know what I am capable of. But like in the past, I've definitely been in situations where I'm like, Oh yeah, I want to do this, this, and this, and this and add it to the list and then nothing yeah. gets done. That's right, yeah. Yeah, great, great both great books. Um, also, I think, adding to the Rockefeller Habits, I think it's called Scaling Up 2.0. It's a fantastic book. Yep. So, yeah. Um, Andy, what does success mean to you today? Whether that's personally, by business, financial life, how do you, how do you, how do you measure it for yourself? Um, I guess how I'm measuring success today as a, a parent of a young child and at a different place in my life than I was uh, when I was a college student or just out of college, um, success to me means, I guess, not having to have any worries about finances, financial security probably is the real thing that success looks like to me. I don't need to build a billion dollar business. Um, like that was probably something that as like a college student or in early or someone in their early twenties getting to startups, like that was really exciting to me, but that was, uh, you know, that was something exciting to a college student without real, maybe as much, hopefully I have a bit more wisdom and, uh, understanding. And yeah, I have a family now and I like spending time with my family. I don't want to be the person who is, uh, always working and not, and just missing my kids growing up, you know? Um, so, uh, in a perfect world, I not worrying about finances and I have the time, the leisure time to spend, uh, with my family. Nice. Love it. Um, what's one hobby activity outside of work that gets you to flow state? Um, 
if any. I, I swear, like lately, it's it's been, it's been a lot of child raising stuff. So the hobbies yeah. have. Uh, <laughs> it's a bottom of the uh, list. Yeah, <laughs> I've, I've I've got a two year old now, and so oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. But uh, I guess hobbies. Uh, playing for me, playing music. I I play guitar. I'm starting to try to learn drums. Um, I uh, just bought an electric drum kit recently, and I'm pretty terrible. Mm. But uh, yeah, that that's my like my personal new year's resolution kind of goal is get better at drums this year nice love it <laughs> cool and this, this has been good lots of good insights here lots of helpful advice for, for founders um really appreciate you jumping on the sas district show um last last question where can founders get in touch with you learn more about you uh, or about your company as well sure i'm pretty easy to find online uh my name's andy cabasso and uh there aren't any other andy cabassos that i know of you can find me on Twitter, on LinkedIn. I'm Andrew Cabasso. I guess it sounds more professional. I don't know. Um, and I have a, we have a Facebook group called Grow Together SEO. That's all about uh, uh, cold outreach and digital marketing and SEO. And our website is postaga.com. That's P-O-S-T-A-G-A.com. And if you're listening to this podcast and you want to try it out for your own cold outreach efforts, uh, you could drop the promo code podcast five zero and that'll get you 50% off for three months. Oh, awesome. Appreciate that podcast. Five zero. We'll add that, we'll add that into our, our show notes guys, as well. Guys, if you want to check that out, make sure to claim your 50% uh, discount. So thank you so much, Andy. Really appreciate you jumping on and have yourself a great day. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks, Akil. Cheers. Thank you all for watching this episode and joining SAS District today. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and hit the bell for future episodes where we interview top leaders in the SaaS industry. If you're a SaaS company looking to grow and unlock the true value of your business, get in touch with us at Horizon Capital and myself or one of our consultants will provide a free assessment to help you get there and hit your goals. If you have any feedback or suggestions for this podcast, please comment down below and help us improve our content for you all. Thanks again and see you on the next one.